We're in the midst of a sermon series on Old Testament heroes of the faith, and this morning we've come to the prophet and the book of Jeremiah. So for our text today, we'll read all 10 verses of Jeremiah 24. This is God's true and trustworthy word for his people. After Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah and the officials, the craftsmen and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, What do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. But like the poor figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing wherever I banish them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their fathers. This is God's word for us today. Once when I was spending some time at an uncle and aunt's house in Iowa, My aunt woke me up one morning from a blissful and well-earned sleep and told me we all had to go down into the basement. And I think I responded with something like, what's what's going on? Is problem want sleep more? Go away. But she insisted I get up. There was a huge storm coming that way. There were all kinds of severe weather warnings, and there was even the possibility of a tornado. So I staggered out of bed, and my aunt and my two-year-old cousin and I all went down to the basement. And to get to that basement, we had to go out on the porch. We had to go down this narrow old rickety staircase into this unfinished, dark, dirty basement. And we sat there for a while listening to the rain and watching a single light bulb sort of swing back and forth as gusts of wind came. And then the power went out. And then the water started kind of pooling on the floor because that house had water issues. And whenever it rained, there would be water down there. And so when it rained heavily, it got really wet. So we put our chairs up on concrete blocks and we sat there trying to listen to the weather station on this little battery-powered radio. And you can guess that my two-year-old cousin wasn't real happy with the dark or the wet or the whole situation So in the background of the storm, we had also this two-year-old soundtrack of wailing and whining and asking, are we done yet? And the storm blew on and on, and the house shaked and shaked and rattled and rattled. And after maybe an hour or so, the warning was lifted, and we went back up the stairs, and I decided I never, ever needed to go back down into that basement again. 
It wasn't a fun place to be, and the uncertainty and the fear of wading out the storm in the dark was not fun at all. Now, for pretty much all of Jeremiah's life, God's people were doing the national equivalent of sitting fearfully in a dark basement, waiting for the next calamity to strike, and wondering when life would get better. Jeremiah lived at a really, really turbulent time, and his own life was especially full of trouble. And so for us to get any real sense of, well, for us to get to understand what's going on from a particular passage in Jeremiah, we need to start by understanding a little bit of the context. So let's look just a little bit this morning at Jeremiah's life and times. After King Solomon's time, the nation of Israel had split into two countries. The northern part was called Israel. The southern part was called Judah. And things went on that way for a couple centuries. And then in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was just wiped out. They were all carried away into exile. And after that, the southern kingdom of Judah had a lot of ups and downs. And Jeremiah started his ministry around 627 BC. And at that time, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, and the Egyptian empires were pretty much always at war through those centuries. One of the empires would win a particular battle, and things would calm down for a bit. And then another conflict would flare up, and the major empires would be at war again. And the little country of Judah, for decades and decades and decades, was caught up in the middle of all that, and they were always getting in trouble with one empire or another especially once they started picking one empire and sort of being on one side versus the other. All of that was a bit like living in the midst of a tornado. Now, Jeremiah started his ministry during the reign of one of the few good kings, but after that king died, another bunch of kings came in, one after the other, and one of them especially, King Jehoiakim, was a troublemaker. We heard about him in our text for today, and he rebelled against Babylon... And so the Babylonians came, and they took King Jehoiakim and a lot of the Israelites away to Babylon in 597 B.C. And the next king, Zedekiah, who we also heard about in Jeremiah 24, rebelled against Babylon again, even though Jeremiah told him not to. And so the Babylonians came again, and this time, instead of just carrying off the king and kind of the upper class, they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, And they took a whole bunch more people into exile in 587 B.C. And after that, the next governor of Judah was assassinated for being being too Babylonian. And then Jeremiah was carried off to Egypt with a bunch of other people from Judah fleeing for their lives. And sometime around that, around 587, 586 B.C., Jeremiah's ministry ended. Jeremiah was not a happy man. And he did not have a happy life. He spent most of his ministry telling God's people they were being disobedient, telling them there would be consequences for that disobedience, and telling them what they needed to do to renew their relationship with God. And then pretty much every time, the people would beat Jeremiah up, or they'd throw him in a well, or they'd make fun of him, or they would do something nasty to him. They would do the opposite of what he said, and then they would have terrible things happen to them. But even through all those hard times, year after year, decade after decade, Jeremiah kept bringing God's word to God's people. Some of the key words in Jeremiah, some of the themes that he had to repeat again and again were uproot, tear down, destroy, 
overthrow. Jeremiah had to continually bring a message to God's people that they were not getting it right and there would be consequences. But even in the midst of all that, Jeremiah also kept bringing good news of God's everlasting love for his people. A couple other key words in Jeremiah are build up and plant. Even in the midst of destruction and judgment, God promised to build up his people and to plant them in his blessings. So that's the big picture of Jeremiah's life and times. Now in the text we read for this morning, we're between 597 and 587. King Jehoiakim and a lot of the upper crust of Judah have been carried off into exile in Babylon, and King Zedekiah is reigning in Jerusalem with a remnant of the people. And at this point, you might expect the story to go something like this. For years, Jeremiah has predicted doom and gloom, and then it happened. The Babylonians came, they carried off the king and a lot of the Jews. The Babylonians really caused all kinds of trouble. God judged his people, and they were punished. But there was still a remnant left in Jerusalem. So there were these two groups. There, were the group, there was the group who had been carried off to exile in Babylon, and there was the group that had been blessed and privileged to stay in Jerusalem. The people in Babylon were carried off to judgment, and the people in Jerusalem were preserved in blessing. Now, that would be the natural interpretation of the situation in those years. There were two groups of people, the accursed in Babylon and the blessed remnant in Judah. But Jeremiah 24 speaks a new and surprising prophetic word into that situation, and it it prophesies deliverance and destruction in ways the people wouldn't have guessed. We'll start by looking at verses 8 to 10 this morning, and then after that we'll come back to verses 4 to 7 of Jeremiah 24. So the first surprise in Jeremiah 24 that we'll look at this morning is that God speaks against God speaks against the remnant of the people in the promised land. In verses 8 to 10 of Jeremiah 24, it turns out that the bad figs in that vision that Jeremiah had actually unexpectedly represent the people still living in Jerusalem. The remnant living in Jerusalem is told that they will be destroyed. The people who would have thought that they had escaped judgment are the ones in the greatest danger. The people who appeared to be on the right side of history are the ones who are getting it all wrong. Things seem to be going just right for those people at that time, but in fact, they were the ones who had gone as bad as a basket full of rotten fruit. Now, Jeremiah 24 doesn't really give us a reason for the judgment against these people, But if we look at other prophetic texts, we can get a pretty good guess at what's going on there. Just a few chapters later in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah basically repeats 24, 8 to 10. And then he goes on to say that God will bring destruction on the people of Judah because they haven't listened to God's words. The words that God has sent over and over and over again by his servants, the prophets. God is not throwing innocent, unaware people into the hurricane here. He has been sending alerts again and again. The prophetic warning siren has been sounding for decades, and these people haven't listened. Now, Jeremiah and the other prophets gave a lot of different problems that the people were having, but two key themes in their warnings were complacence 
and idolatry. So first of all, the people in Judah, the remnant in the promised land, were complacent. They had developed this sense of being bulletproof. They thought they were invincible. After all, they were God's people living in God's promised land. And okay, some prophets had come, some bad stuff had happened, there had been wars, people had been carried away into exile. But these people were still in the land. They had dodged a couple bullets, and so they thought, hey, we can dodge anything else that comes our way. These people were sure that they had God in their pocket, but they didn't have any real desire to serve the Lord or to stay in close relationship with Him. And that brings us to the second problem that the people of Judah had. They thought the Lord was all right, and if He wanted to offer certain blessings, they would be happy to take those. But they lived in a time and a place where plenty of gods were available, and they wanted to make sure that they diversified their divine investment policies and their divine insurance. If the Lord God would promise this and that, well, great. And then they'd add in some bail coverage and some miscellaneous idol protection on the side to go along with the blessings of the Lord. Their hearts were here and there and everywhere. Even after decades and decades of warning, even after generations of consequences and trouble, the people in Judah were still running after other gods and still depending on the mighty empires for protection instead of trusting in their Lord. God demands that his people follow him wholeheartedly and there are terrible consequences for those who persistently disobey and who year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, keep following their own ways. At some point, God just has to say, enough, have it your way. Now, C.S. Lewis once wrote that at the end of time, there are only two kinds of people in this world. There are the people who say to God, thy will be done, and they live in God's will forever. And there are the people to whom God finally says, thy will be done, and those people live in their own will forever. And apart from God's gracious intervention, the broken human will always leads to destruction. Ultimately, the will of a person who turns away from God leads them straight to hell. If we cast ourselves out of God's will, we are throwing ourselves back into the hurricane. And when people get so rotten that God abandons them to the hurricane, there is no end except destruction. Complacency and idolatry are dangerous habits for God's people to slip into, and they lead down a path to destruction. But even at those points where the prophets came and they looked at God's people and they announced that destruction was coming, they weren't usually declaring that things were just hopeless and it was all over for God's people. It's actually a little bit like news we hear about the weather sometimes. Sometimes after a big storm or disaster, we hear weather news about everything that's gone wrong. The house is destroyed, the lives lost, and all of that. And that's news that can't be changed. It is what it is. It will be what it will be. But we also get weather watches and weather warnings. And those are warnings of things that will come not announcements of things that are past. Weather watches and warnings are intended to help us avoid the storm, 
They warn us of coming danger. They tell us to do certain things and to avoid other things. Maybe we need to get off the road. Maybe we need to head down to the basement. But the point of these bulletins is to keep us aware, to keep us safe, and to change our future behavior. Now, sometimes the Old Testament prophets did just give news of unavoidable disaster. Sometimes they were news broadcasters telling the people, this is how it is, and this is how it's going to be, period. But more often, the prophets were an early warning system. They were divinely appointed weathermen, giving God's people advanced warning about their spiritual state and about what was going to happen if they kept going the way they were going. God didn't give Jeremiah his word just to go and tell the people, ha ha, you're going to be destroyed. These verses about bad figs in Jeremiah 24 weren't just a statement of destruction. They were a warning and they were a call for the remnant in Judah to change. God commissioned Jeremiah to tell the people that the storm was coming and to tell them that they should turn away from the storm and turn to God. But even when God's people didn't heed those warnings, even when destruction had struck, God still acted in grace. And that brings us back to verses 4 to 7 of Jeremiah 24. In verses 4 to 7, the Lord God surprisingly says he will regard as good the people in exile. The Lord will regard as good the people in exile. Just like the figs in those verses, in that vision that Jeremiah had, these people will be regarded as good. God will declare them good. Now, if we go all the way back to the creation account, we see another time in the Old Testament where God declared things good. And there in Genesis 1, we see this pattern of God creating something, and then Genesis 1 says over and over, and God saw that it was good. Jeremiah 24 is picking up on that tune. It's saying that God will look at the people and declare that what he sees is good and useful and whole. But there's a real significant difference between Jeremiah 24 and Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the things that God was looking at were actually good. They were made perfect. They weren't broken. They were whole. There was no sin. But here in Jeremiah 24, the people in exile were not actually good people. The reason they were in exile is that they had not listened to God's word. They had disobeyed God, and they were suffering the consequences. Jeremiah had brought the word of the Lord to King Jehoiakim and told him exactly what to do. And Jehoiakim and the rest of the people of Judah had just continued on their own way to destruction. God's people had failed. And that's why they were in Babylon in the first place. But in these verses, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he sends his word to God's exiled people and he tells them there is still hope. In verse 6, God says to the people, my eyes will watch over you for your good and I'll bring you back to this land. I'll build you up and not tear you down. I'll plant you and not uproot you. God in these verses promises to restore his exiled people. The people who had been so disobedient that they were uprooted and sent away. These people will be brought back. 
They will be built up and they will be planted in God's blessings again. Even though the people disobeyed and ran away from God, God would remain faithful. Even when disaster came on God's people, even when they were far away from home, even when they'd lost all hope, God still remained faithful and God brought new hope. And God promises much more than just the return to prime real estate. In verse 7, God goes on to say of his people in exile, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. This is not just a promise to change the location of the people. This is a promise to transform who they are. These are people who had chased after other gods. These are people who had disobeyed God's word and tried to make military political alliances with the powers of the day. Their hearts were split among many loyalties. Their heads were full of duplicitous schemes. They were always going after this God and that God, always running to this empire and that empire, and never really settling down in the promises of the Lord. The people of Judah had been flying around in a self-created political and religious hurricane for decades, and they were getting destroyed by it. But in this text, God is promising to bring them to a place of peace. Instead of their hearts pulling them in a thousand different directions, and all of those directions dead ends, God is going to give his people a new center. The world may still be going crazy around them, but God will bring them into his presence. And there, just like in the eye of a hurricane, there may be total chaos in all the world around them, but they will be at peace and they will be safe in the hands of God. Even in the midst of apparent destruction and disaster, God speaks to his people in exile and he assures them that they will be saved. God remains faithful to his people, and even for the exiles, they will be God's people, and he will be their God. He will regard them as good even when they failed. So in our lives today, even when we fail utterly, even if we are miserable at following God, even if we run after everything else, Except, of resting, except for resting in God's promises. God still comes to us, and he still brings his promises. Even when we have run away from God, even when we have suffered the consequences of our disobedience and sin, even when it seems like all hope is lost, even when we have habits that we can't kick and guilt that we can't seem to get rid of, God comes to us, and he promises us that we can still be his people and that he will still be our God. And this is true not just because God sent out his word to Jeremiah, but it's true because God sent his word to us in Jesus Christ. Ever since sin entered the world, human hearts have all been turned away from God. No matter how many times God went to his people and turned them around and got them on the right path, they kept going back to their old ways. But in Christ, 
God came and he dealt with the condition of our hearts. In the work of Christ, God really did take us out of the storm. He brought us permanently into his peace and his presence. In the work of Christ, the sickness, the guilt, the corruption of our sin is taken away. And so no matter how, things have got, how bad things have gotten for you today, in Christ, God assures you that he can make you wholeheartedly able and willing to live for him. Even though God's people have always failed, and even though we perpetually get ourselves into terrible messes, God remains faithful. Through the work of Christ, God has made us his people forever. And because of that, we can trust that God will continue to build us up and continue to plant us in his blessings. Jeremiah spent a lot of his ministry warning of coming judgment. He lived in a terribly turbulent time. But even in announcing the storms of well-deserved destruction and judgment of God's people, Jeremiah continued to bring the good news of God's everlasting love for his people. God has promised us that he will be our God and that we will be his people. He has fulfilled that promise in Christ and he is at work always helping us to know and to follow him. Let's today and every day give thanks to our Lord for the work he has done in our lives. And let us continually, continually go back to God, ask again for his grace, throw ourselves again on his promise, and know that even if we have sinned, God still loves us and God is still at work within us. Let's keep living for God with all of our hearts.